Chapter 6, Part 3 of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter 6, Part 3. The Campagne Genevre, Vevey, Beauty of the Region, Letters, Birth of a Son, Visit from Professor Smith, Excursion to Chamonix, Whooping Cough and Scarlet Fever Among the Children, Dr. Kershod, Letters. At the end of March, the family removed to the Campagne Genevre, about two miles back of Vevey, in the direction of saint Leger. At one point it overlooked the town and the lake and commanded a fine view of the mountains of Savoy and of the distant Jura range. On the opposite shore of the lake is the village where Lord Byron passed some time in 1816 and where he is said to have written the wonderful description of a thunderstorm in the third canto of Child Harold. At all events, the very scene, so vividly depicted by him, was witnessed from Genevre. To Mrs. Stearns, Jean Evriere, April the 5th, 1859. Your letter describing how nicely your party went off followed us from Montreuse to enliven us here in our new home. We only wish we could have been there. You need not have apologised for giving so many details, for it is just such little events of your daily life that we want to hear about. My mouth quite waters for a bit of the cake they sent you. I remember Mrs. Dr. J. and others used to send us big loaves which were delicious and such as I never tasted out of Newark. We came here last Thursday in a great snowstorm, which was cheerless and cold enough after the warm weather we have had for so many weeks. I do not suppose more snow fell on any day through the winter, and we all shivered and lamented and huddled over the fire at a great rate. Yet... I have just been driven indoors by the heat of the sun, having begun to write at a little table just outside the house, and fires and snow have disappeared. George has gone to town with Jules in the wagon to buy sugar, oil, oats, buttons, and I do not know what not, and is no doubt thinking of you all, for we do nothing but cry out how we wish you were here with us to enjoy this beautiful spot. We are entirely surrounded by mountains in the distance and with green fields, vineyards and cultivated grounds nearer home. How your children would delight in the flowers, the white doves, the seven little tiny guinea pigs, no bigger than your Annie's hand shut up, and the ample neat play places all about us. I can't tell you how George and I enjoy seeing M trotting about, so eager and so happy, and gathering up, as we hope, health and strength every hour. We find the house, on the whole, very convenient, and it is certainly as pleasant as can be, every room cheerful and every window commanding a view which is ravishing. To Mrs. Smith, Jean Evriere, April the 7th, 1859. You will be surprised, I dare say, to hear that I am writing out of doors, I can hardly myself believe that it is possible to do so with comfort and safety at this season, 
but it is perfectly charming weather neither cold nor hot and with a small shawl and my bloomer on i am out a large part of the day you would fly here in a balloon if you knew what a beautiful spot we are in we are surrounded with magnificent views of both the lake and the mountains and cannot turn in any direction without being ravished the house is pretty and in most respects well and even handsomely furnished damask curtains a titian a rembrandt and a murillo in the parlour the floors are waxed and carpetless to be sure but mrs buck has given us lots of large pieces of carpeting such as are used in this country to cover the middle of the rooms and these will make us comfortable next winter but the winters here are so short that one hardly gets fixed to meet them when they are over we have quite a nice garden from which we have already eaten lettuce spinach and parsley our potatoes were planted a day or two ago and our peas are just up one corner of the house unconnected with our part is occupied by a farmer who rents part of the land he is obliged to do our marketing etc and we get milk and cream from him i wish the latter was as easy to digest as it is palatable and cheap they beat it up here till it looks like pure white lather and eat it with sugar the grounds about our house are very neat and we shall have oceans of flowers of all sorts several kinds are in full bloom now the wild flowers are so profuse so beautiful and so various that a and i are almost demented on the subject from the windows i see first the wide gravelled walk which runs round the house then a little bit of a green lawn in which there is a little bit of a pond and a tiny jet d'eau which falls agreeably on the ear beyond this the land slopes gently upward till it is not land but bare rugged mountain here and there sprinkled with snow and interspersed with pine trees the sloping land is ploughed up and men and women are busy sowing and planting too far off to disturb us with noise but looking the women at least rather picturesque in their short blue dresses and straw hats on the right hand the don du midi is seen to great advantage it is now covered with snow the little village of saint leger lies off in the distance you can just see its roofs and the quaint spire of a very old church otherwise you see next to no houses and the stillness is very sweet now won't you come the children seem to enjoy their liberty greatly and are running about all the time they each have a little garden and i hope will live out of doors all summer the state of her health during the next three months was a source of constant and severe suffering but could not quench her joy in the wonders of nature around her my drives about this lovely place she wrote in june have begun to give me an immense amount of pleasure indeed my faculty for enjoyment is so great that i sometimes think one day's felicity pays for weeks of misery and that if it hadn't been for my poor health i should have been too happy here nor did her suffering weaken in the least her sympathy with the troubles of her friends at home while for the most part silent as to her own peculiar trials her letters were full of cheering words about theirs to one of these she wrote at this time god has taken care that we should not enjoy so much of this world's comfort 
since we left home, as to rest in it. Your letters are so sad that I have fancied you perhaps overestimated our situation, feeling that you and your feeble husband were bearing the burden and heat of the day while we were standing idle. My dear, there are trials everywhere and in every sphere, and every heart knoweth its own bitterness, or else physical burdens are sent to take the place of mental depression. After all, it will not need more than an hour in heaven to make us ashamed of our want of faith and courage here on earth. Do cheer up, dear child, and look aloft. Poor mister, I know his work is hard and up the hill, but it will not be lost work and cannot last for ever. It seems to me God might accept with special favour the services of those who toil in rowing. After all, it is not the amount of work he regards, but the spirit with which it is done. Early in July she was made glad by the birth of her sixth child, her Swiss boy, as she liked to call him. Her gladness was not a little increased by a visit soon after from Professor Henry B. Smith of the Union Theological Seminary. This visit was one of the memorable events of her life abroad. Professor Smith was not merely a great theologian and scholar, he was also a man of most attractive personal qualities. And, when unbending among friends from his exacting literary labours, the charm of his presence and conversation was perfect. His spirits ran high, and he entered with equal zest into the amusements of young or old. His laugh was as merry as that of the merriest girl. No boy took part more eagerly in any innocent sport. Nobody could beat him in climbing a mountain. He was a keen observer, and his humour, sometimes very dry, sometimes fresh and bright as the early dew, rendered his companionship at once delightful and instructive. His learning and culture were so much a part of himself that his most familiar talk abounded in the happiest touches about books and art and life. All his finest traits were in full play while he was at Genebraire, and when he left, his visit seemed like a pleasant dream. To Mrs. Smith, Genebraire, July the 25th. I am only too glad of the chance your husband gives me to write you another bit of a note. We are enjoying his visit amazingly. There are only two drawbacks to its felicity. One is that he won't stay all summer, and the other that you are not here. The children were enchanted with the presents he brought them. When I shall be on my feet and well and strong again, time only can tell. A has devoted herself to me in the sweetest way. What she has been to me all winter and up to this time tongue could not tell. My doctor is as kind as a brother. He was a perfect stranger to me and was brought to my bedside when I was writhing in agony. But in ten minutes his tenderness and sympathy made me forget that he was a stranger and through that long night of distress and the long day that followed he did everything that mortal could do to relieve and comfort me. He brought his wife up to see me the other day and I begged her to tell him how grateful I felt. He is kind, she answered, but then he loves you so. They both speak English. I am so puffed up by his praises. I am sure I thought I groaned, but he says, 
par un gémissement. August the 14th. Our two husbands have gone to Lausanne for the day, taking A with them. They seem to be having real nice times together, and if, as your husband says, his old wife were here, his felicity and ours would be too great. They lounge about, talk, drink soda water, and view the prospect. Dr. Buck came up from Geneva on Thursday and spent the night and part of Friday with us, and it would have done you good to hear him and your husband laugh. He was quite enchanted with the place and says we never shall want to go home. August the 23rd. Your husband has given me leave to write you a little bit of a note out of my little bit of a heart on this little bit of paper. He and A have just gone off to get some pretty grass for you. He will tell you when he gets home how he baptised his namesake on Sunday. We've enjoyed his visit more than tongue can tell. George says he has enjoyed it as much as he thought he should, and I'm sure I have enjoyed it a great deal more, as I have been so much better in health than I expected. But how you must miss him! On the 12th of September, a faultless autumn day, she set out with her husband and eldest daughter for Chamonix. It was her first excursion for pleasure since coming to Switzerland. A visit to this great and marvellous handiwork of God is an event in the dullest life. In her case, the experience was so full of delight that it seemed almost to compensate for the cares and disappointments of the whole previous year. The plan was to return to Genevrière and then to pass on to the Bernese Oberland, but the visit to Chamonix proved to be her last as well as her first pleasure excursion in Switzerland. To Mrs. Stearns, Genevrière, October the 2nd, 1859. I have been so absorbed with anxiety about the children since we got back from our journey that I have not felt like writing you a description of it. George told you, I suppose, that the news awaiting us when we reached Vevey was of the babies having whooping cough. It was a great shock to us, for the weather was dismally cold and it did not seem as if the little thing could get safely through the disease at so unfavourable a time of year. Then there were the other two to have it also. On Friday last, Baby's cry had become a sad sort of wail, and he was so pale and weak that I did not see how he was going to rally. But he is better today, so that I begin to take breath. To go back to Chamonix, it seems a mercy that we went when we did. We enjoyed the whole trip. We made the excursion to the Mer de Glace in a pouring rain without injury to any of us and were well repaid for our trouble by the novelty of the whole expedition and the extraordinary sights we saw. George intended taking us to the Oberland if we found the children well on our return, but all hope of accomplishing another journey was destroyed when we found what different business was before us. It is a real disappointment, for the weather is now mild and very fine, just adapted to journeying, and so many things have conspired to confine me to this spot, that I have found it quite hard to be as patient and cheerful as I am sure I ought to be. Alas and alas, what an insatiable thing human nature is! How it craves everything the world can offer! instead of contenting itself 
with what ought to content it. However, I shall soon get over my fidgets, and as to George, of course he is only disappointed for me and A, as he has visited the Oberland, and was only going to give us pleasure. And, if I must choose between the two, I'd rather have the littlest baby in the world than see all the biggest mountains in it. We are thankful to hear that Mother still continues to be so well. We long to see her, and I think a look at her, or a smile from her, would do George good like a medicine. October the 17th. I went to church yesterday for the first time in ten months. We came out at half past ten, so you see we have a tolerably long day before us when church is done. It is not at all like going to church at home. You not only find it painful to listen with such strict attention as the foreign tongue requires, but you miss the neat, well-ordered sanctuary, the picture of family life, for there are no little children present, and the agreeable array of dress. The flapping, monstrous bloomers tie your eyes, and so do the grotesque, coarse clothes and the tokens of extreme poverty. I grow more and more patriotic every day, and am astonished at what I see and hear of life in Europe. I snatched one afternoon when the baby was better than usual to go to Villeneuve with George to call on Mr. and Mrs. H, and the sister of Mrs. H, who is one of our Mercer Street young ladies. They were at the Hotel Byron, where you stayed. What a beautiful spot it is. Mr. H afterwards came and dined with us, and was so charmed with the place that he was tempted to take it when we leave. His wife, however, had set her heart on going home at that time, as she had left one child there. The vintage is going on here at Genevrière today, and we are all invited to go and eat our fill. To Mrs. Henry B. Smith, Genevrière, October the 20th, 1859. You ask how I find time to make flower pictures. Why? I have been confined to the house a good deal by the baby's sickness, and could hardly set myself about anything else when I was not watching and worrying about him. When we got home from Chamonix, we found him with what proved to be a very serious disease in the case of so young a child. It has shaken his little frame nearly to pieces, leaving him after weeks of suffering not much bigger than a doll, and all eyes and bones. It was a pretty hard struggle for life, and I hardly know how he has weathered the storm. The idea of leaving our dear little Swiss baby in a little Swiss grave, instead of taking him home with us, was very distressing to me, and I cannot help earnestly desiring that death may not assail us in this foreign land. Our trip to Chamonix was very pleasant and did me a deal of good. If I could have kept on the mule riding and mountain viewing a few weeks, I should have got quite built up, but the children's coughs made it impossible to take any more journeys. Monsieur de Palaiseuse, our landlord, called Monday to see if I would sell him my sewing machine, as his wife was crazy to have one, and didn't feel as if she could wait to get one from New York. I told him I would, and all night could not sleep for teaching him how to use it, for his wife is in Germany, and he had to learn for her. I invited him to come to dinner on Wednesday and take his lessons. On Tuesday, George said he wanted me to make a pair of sleeves for Mrs. Tholuk, 
before the machine went off, so I went to town to get the stuff. At three o'clock began the sleeves and worked like a lion for a little over two hours when they were done, beautifully. This morning I made four collars, which I shall want for Christmas presents, and a shirt for Jules, our old hired man, who never had one made of linen and will go off the handle when he gets it. So I am tolerably used up and shall be almost glad to send away the tempter tomorrow, though I dare say I shall miss it. I wish you could look out of my window this minute and see how beautiful the autumnal foliage is already beginning to look. But my poor old head, what shall I do with it? You ask about my health. I am as well as I can be without sleep. I have had only one really good night since the baby came, to say nothing of those before, some worse than others to be sure, but all wakeful to a degree that tries my faith not a little. I don't see what is to hinder my going crazy one of these days. However, I won't if I can help it. George goes to Germany this week. Well, my dear, good-bye. To Mrs. Stearns, December the 12th. George got home a fortnight ago, after his three weeks' absence, looking nicely and more like himself than I have seen him in a long time. He had a most refreshing time in Germany among his old friends. It does my heart good to see him so cheery and hopeful. I have just seen the three babies safely in bed, after no little scampering and carrying on, and am now ready for a little chat with you and dear mother. George sits by me, piously reading Adam Bede. I was disappointed in the minister's wooing, which he brought from Germany, and cannot think Mrs. Stowe came up to herself this time, whatever the newspapers may say about it. And as for the plot, I don't see why she shouldn't have let Mary marry good old Dr. Hopkins, who was vastly more of a man than that harem-scarem James. As to Adam Bede, I think it a wonderful book, beyond praise. I hope these literary observations will be blessed to you, my dear. Mrs. Thurlock sent me a very pretty worsted cape to wear about house or under a cloak. We went to Lausanne last Wednesday, George, A. and I, to do a little shopping for Christmas and had quite a good time, only as life is always mingled in sweet and bitter, bitter and sweet, we had the melancholy experience of finding, when we got ready to come home, that Jules had taken a drop too much and was in a state of ineffable silliness, which made George prefer to drive himself. We begin now to think and talk about Paris. We have been buying this afternoon some Swiss chalets and other things, brought to the door by two women, and I had hard work to keep George from taking a bushel or two. He got leaf cutters enough to stab all his friends to the heart. Most of our lady friends will receive a salad spoon and fork from one or the other of us. In fact, I have no doubt we shall be seized at the custom house as merchants in disguise. Well, I must bid you good night. The latter part of December, her husband was requested to go to Paris and take the temporary charge of the American chapel there. He decided to do so with the understanding that she and the children should soon follow him. But scarcely had he left Geneva when first one and then another of the children was seized with scarlet fever. Here are a few extracts from her letters on the subject. December the 31st. Jules had hardly gone to the office 
when I became satisfied that G had scarlet fever beyond a doubt, and therefore sent Jeannette instantly to town to tell the doctor so, and to ask him to come up. He came, and said at once I was quite right. As to our leaving here, he said decidedly that it could not be under less than forty days. I cannot tell you, my darling, how grieved I am for you to hear this news. Now I know your first impulse will be to come home, and perhaps to renounce the chaplaincy, but I beg you to think twice, thrice, before you decide to do so. How one thing hurries on after another! But it is the universal cry everywhere. Everybody is groaning and travailing in pain together, and we shall doubtless learn, in eternity, that our lot was not peculiar, but that we had millions of unknown fellow sufferers on the way. Don't be too disappointed, but let us rather be thankful that if our poor children must be sick, it was here and not in Paris. And now, good night. Betake yourself to your knees when you have read this, and pray for us with all your might. January the 5th, 1860 the doctor has been here and says the other children must not meet G till the end of this month unless they are taken sick meantime. Poor M melted like a snowflake in the fire when she heard that. She begins to miss her little playmate and keeps running to say things to him through the keyhole and to serenade him with singing, accompanied by a rattling of knives. I see but one thing to be done for you to stay and preach, and me to stay and nurse, each in the place God has assigned us. You must pray for me, that I may be patient and willing to have my coming to Europe turn out a failure, as far as my special enjoyment of it is concerned. There are better things than going to Paris, being with you and hearing you preach. Pray that I may have them in full measure. I can't bear to stop writing, Goodbye, my dearest love. January the 15th. If you could look in upon us this evening, you would be not a little surprised to see me writing in the corner of my room, close to the washstand where my lamp is placed. But you would see at a glance that the curtain of the bed is let down to shade our darling little M's eyes as she lies close at my side. How sorry I am, as you cannot see all this, to have to tell it to you. I have let her decide for me, and she wants dear papa to know that she is sick. Oh, why need I add another care to those who already suffer on our account? As to baby, we are disposed to think that he has had the fever. Of course we do not know, but it is pleasant to hope the best. And now, my precious darling, you see there is more praying work to do, as I hinted in my Saturday's note when my heart was pretty heavy within me. I need not tell you what to ask for the dear child, but for me do pray that I may have no will of my own. All these trials and disappointments are so purely providential that it frightens me to think I may have much secret discontent about them, or may like to plan for myself in ways different from God's plans. Yet in the midst of so much care and fatigue, I hardly know how I do feel. I am like a feather blown here and there by an unexpected whirlwind, and I suppose I ought not to expect much of myself. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I keep saying over and over to myself, 
and if you are going to write a new sermon this week, suppose you take that for your text. I have not had one regret that you went to Paris, and as to your coming on, I do hope you will not think of it unless you are sent for. You could do nothing and would be very lonely and uncomfortable. The doctor told me to tell you to stay where you were and that you ought to rejoice that the children are not sick in Paris. I do trust that in the end we shall come forth from this troublesome time like gold from the furnace. So far I have been able to do all that was necessary and I trust I shall continue so. God bless you and bring us to a happy meeting in his own good time. To Mrs. Stearns, Genevrière, January the 21st, 1860. Boiling over does one good of itself, and I am sure you feel the better for having done so. I do not know why men seem to get along without such reliefs, as women almost always seek in this way. Whether there is less water in their kettles, or whether their kettles are bigger than ours and boil with more safety. It is a comfort to believe that, whatever our troubles, in the end all will work together for our good. The new year has opened upon us here at Genevrière pretty gloomily, as George has told you. You will not be surprised, therefore, to hear that M is also quite sick, much sicker than G. She is one of those meek, precious little darlings whom it is painful to see suffer, and I have hardly known what I was about or where I was since she was taken down. My baby is deserted by us all. I have only seen him in moments for three weeks. You cannot think how lonely poor A is. Half the time she eats alone in the big solitary dining room. Nobody has any time to walk out with her. What few children she knew are afraid to come here or to have her come nigh them, and I feel as if I should fly when I think of it, for she is not strong or well, and her life here in Switzerland has been a series of disappointments and anxieties. The only leisure moments I can snatch in the course of the twenty or four hours I have to spend in writing to George, but the last few evenings M has slept so that I could play a game of chess with her and try to cheer and brace her up against next day's dreariness. All her splendid dreams of getting off from this solitude to the life and stir of Paris have been dissipated, but she has never uttered one word of complaint. I have not heard her say as much as, Isn't it too bad? And indeed we ought none of us to say so or to feel so, for the doctor assures me that for three such delicate children as he considers ours, to pass safely through whooping cough and scarlet fever is a perfect wonder, and that he is sure it is owing to the pure country air. And when I think how different a scene our house might present if our three little ones had been snatched away, as three or four even have been from other families, I am ashamed of myself that I dare sigh, that I am lonely and friendless here, or that I have anything to complain of. It has been no small trial, however, to pass through such anxieties in so remote a place, with George gone, while on the other hand I have been most thankful that he has been spared all the details of the children's ailments, and permitted once more to feel himself about his master's business. Providence most plainly called him to Paris, and I trust he will stay there and get good till we can join him, but I feel uneasy about him too lest his anxiety about the children 
should hang as a dead weight on his not quite rested head and heart. At any rate, I shall be tolerably glad to see him again at the end of our two months' separation. How I should love to drop in on you tonight. Doesn't it seem as if one could, if one tried hard enough? Well, good night to you. To Mrs. Smith, Genevrière, January the 29th, 1860. I believe George has written you about our private hospital. He had not been gone to Paris 48 hours when G was taken sick. That was a month ago, and I have only tasted the air twice in all that time. G had the disease lightly. M, poor little darling, was much sicker than he was. It is a fortnight since she was taken, and she hardly sits up at all. An older child would be in bed, but little ones never will give up if they can help it. I suppose it is because they can be held in the arms and rocked and carried about. I have passed through some most anxious hours on account of M, and it seems little less than a miracle that she is still alive. The baby is well, and he is a nice little rosy fellow. It was a dreadful disappointment to us to be detained here instead of going to Paris. I felt that I couldn't live longer in such entire solitude, and just then, lo and behold, George was whisked off, and I was shut up closer than ever. It is a great comfort to me that he got off just when he did, and has had grace to stay away. On the other hand, I need not say how his absence has aggravated my cares, how solitary the season of anxiety has been, and how, at times, my faith and courage have been put to their utmost stretch. The whole thing has been so evidently ordered and planned by God that I have not dared to complain. But, my dear child, if you had come in now and then with a little of your strengthening talk, I cannot deny I should have been most thankful. It has been pretty trying for George to hear such doleful accounts from home, but I hope the worst is over and that we shall be the wiser and the better for this new lesson of life. Dr. Kershod's rule is the same as Dr. Buck's, 40 days confinement to one room, so we have a month more to spend here. I am afraid I am writing a gloomy letter. If I am, you must try to excuse me and say, Poor child, she isn't well, and she hasn't had any good sleep lately, and she's tired, and I don't believe she means to grumble. Do so much for me, and I'll do as much for you sometime. I hear your husband has taken up a Bible class. It is perfectly shocking. Does he want to kill himself, or what ails him? The pleasantest remembrance we shall have of this place is his visit. Our doctor and his family stand out as bright lights in this picture. He has been like a brother in sympathy and kindness. We shall never forget it. God has been so good to you and to me in sparing our children when assailed by so fearful a disease that we ought to love him better than we ever did. I do so want my weary solitude to bear that fruit. End of chapter 6, part 3